God. You may be seated, everyone. Hey, we've actually been in this sermon series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and uh, today we're actually talking about this topic of growing up or growing into an emotionally healthy adult. Now, the thesis that we've been talking about over the past few weeks is really this, that it's actually impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. In other words, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. Now, here's what it means then to follow Jesus, and this is what we've been talking about, that the, the enterprise or the task of following Jesus, it's actually a wholehearted um, kind of enterprise. It's not something where we can just halfway be in or just kind of give this 10%, but it's actually saying, God, I want all of who I am, every single part, including the emotional side of who I am, the parts of me that perhaps people don't know or people don't see, but every single part of me, including my emotional health and my spiritual maturity, I want all of it to be um, consumed and really submitted to you and to your ways. Now, doing that is really difficult, right? And we've been using this image, it's the image of an iceberg. So many of us today, the way that we work or the way that we relate to others, especially in our digital world, is this 10% that's above the surface. This is what we do and we kind of manicure this, right? And we basically um, propose this online of who we are. And even in settings like this, we can give each other kind of just the normal platitudes of this 10%. But what does it look like to allow God and allow others even into that 90% to say, God, I want to allow you not only to change my behaviors, but really change me from the inside out, from the, the moments of what I do with my anxieties, my fears, my shame, that, that it's not only my public life that matters to you, God, but also my private life, that what I do kind of um, with the people, especially that I have in intimate relationships or close personal relationships in my family, like the way that they experience me, the way that I live out my faith, is it something where it's only just this superficial 10% or is it more? Now, here's the thing. You and I, as New Yorkers, we, like, if, if I were to say, would you want something that's plastic and kind of something that's not really real or true, but would you want instead an authentic kind of transformation? I'm willing to guess that every single one of us, because we're not in California anymore, would want, no, I'm 
just kidding, no, sorry. No shade at Californians, right? But we'd want something much deeper and rooted and authentic and something that would transform us from the inside out. And really, that's the invitation of this entire series. Now, a few weeks ago, I mentioned this passage from the book of Isaiah, this metaphor that's given about the way that God relates to people. Now, check out what this metaphor is. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. Can I hear you say clay? Right? So there's this image that's being used or introduced by the prophet Isaiah. He's introducing this image that God is a God who's like a potter and we are like clay. And this clay, you are a potter. We are all the work of your hand. And what God does is he shapes us and transforms us. And I showed this image and it's the image of this pristine lump of clay, right? Untouched and unperturbed by any part of the world that's now perfect for being formed by God however we wish. And the reality is, one of the things that we talked about, though, is that we think of ourselves, if we've been journeying a certain way, if we've been influenced by these different agents of the world or the culture around us, there's all these things that have influenced us. And we think that when we become a Christian, and if you're not a Christian here, welcome <laughs> um, to this kind of exploration about what Christianity is all about. We think of ourselves as this, this pristine lump that's now ready to be molded the way that God wants us to be molded. But the reality is, and one of the things that we talked about, is we've been formed by all sorts of things all sorts of agents, all sorts of influences, whether it's the media, whether it's our friend groups, whether it's CNN or Fox News, whatever it might be, we've been shaped. And one of the things that we talked about is one of the primary agents that we've been shaped is by our families of origin. And one of the invitations that we've uh, talked about as it relates to this uh, topic of emotionally healthy spirituality is, well, we allow God, when it comes to our family of origin, to, to shape us and to change us to reform and reshape, just like a potter who works with clay, that instead of me as Drew Hyun, as someone who's been shaped for years as part of the Hyun family, into this way of parenting. And the way of parenting, the way that Hyun males parent their children, is we are uninvolved, we get angry when things aren't our way, and men are not involved with the day-to-day -day parenting at all, right? Like, so, so that's what's been, generations have been told to me in this patriarchal way that for me, as a young male, this is how I'm supposed to behave. And I'm supposed to do much more significant things like pray and, and read the scriptures. And so here's what happens then. I've been more shaped by the way of the young family than by the way of Jesus. And one of the invitations that we've talked about is like, Hey, what does it look like for each one of us, though? Now, this is not to say, again, that your family's origin, everything has been bad from your family of origins. This is simply to say, what does it look like for every single one of us when it comes to how we live our day-to-day -day lives, especially in our private worlds? How can we be more shaped by the way of Jesus than by the Hyun family or whatever family that you come from? You see, but it's not only families that have shaped us into what we're being reshaped into. And today we're gonna to talk about some other ways that we've been shaped or formed. Now, there's this passage that comes to us from the book of Genesis. And I'm gonna read it in a moment here. But here's the thing, here's what Christians believe. Now, if you're not a Christian here, again, welcome. I believe that even what I'm about to tell you about Christian theology, even if you're not a Christian, you would actually agree with what I'm about to say. And it's basically this, is that every single one of us, this is what Christians believe, every single one of us makes mistakes and has sin in our lives. Now, some of you might be like, shudder and be like, what a sin, what I can't believe this religious jargon. Here's what sin basically is. Sin basically is I've, I'm not living according to the ways of God or, or according to a standard that even I would wanna live by. 
And isn't it true, every single one of us, as human beings, this is what it means to be a human being, as human beings, we all do things that we don't want to do. We all don't even live up to our own perfect standards or our best standards of what we have for ourselves. Now, all of us as sinners, there's a story that comes to us. It's a story of what Christians believe about how Adam and Eve were created, but they make a decision against what God wants, against his will, and as a result of this sin, we're going to read this story that actually shows us what, uh, what happens after this fracture in the relationship takes place. So check this out, Genesis chapter 1. Adam and Eve, now their relationship with God has been fractured. Check this out. Then the man and his wife, that's Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden, the garden of Eden, in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, here it is. They're hiding. Why are they hiding? You see, when God created the world, he created man and woman, Adam and Eve, naked and unashamed. And here, what happens is after this relationship is broken, there's now this hiding that takes place. There's this shame. Now, here's the thing. God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. This is God of the universe. There's no hiding from him. And yet what you see is that the effects of what's happened to Adam and Eve is now there's this shame that they're carrying. Shame enough that they would want to hide from the omniscient God of the world. And so here's what God does. He says, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. There's not only this shame and hiding, there's also this fear. Fear of what God will think of them. Fear of this disconnection. So do you see what happens in the effects of sin, this broken relationship? There's shame, there's fear. Now again, you don't even need to be a Christian or come from a religious background. Have any, has ever, anyone ever felt fear or shame before? And I would argue, yes, it, that's what it means to be a human being, whether you're religious or you're not. But not only that, check out this other effect of what happens. Look as, as the story continues. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you had messed up? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Now check out what happens. The man said, well, the woman, <laughs> the woman you put here, I mean, do you see that? The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. There's this major blame game starting to happen. Now guys, please don't do this. Um, but see, it's, uh, but women aren't off the hook either. Look, look what happens. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, oh, the serpent, the serpent that you put here deceived me and I ate. Do you see what happens now? All of a sudden what happens is the effects of sin start to take place. And the effects of sin are basically there's shame, there's fear, there's blame shifting, there's blaming others. There's a lack of wanting to take responsibility. Now, again, you don't even have to be religious or even believe this story to know that this is true, that every single one of us as human beings, we experience some of these effects, don't we, of shame, of fear, of shifting blame. And so what ends up shaping us then, we talk about our family of origin, but what also shapes us is the effects of sin, our shame, our fears, our blame shifting, and what the scriptures tell us is that every single one of us as human beings, we have these gaps in the ways that we've been formed, whether it's in our propensity for shame or fear or shifting blame. But not only that, 
What I'd like to introduce us today, especially as it relates to emotionally healthy spirituality, is also the area of our wounds and our trauma, which are essentially also the effects of sin. Because in a broken world, what we do as human beings is we move about in our worlds or in our family of origins, we experience different wounds and trauma in the world that we inhabit. And those wounds end up shaping the way that we behave, especially to those close to us. So there's something called emotional allergies. Now, emotional allergies, uh, during the springtime, my al- I have really bad spring allergies. And so it's almost like one day I wake up and I feel like my face is swollen and I can't breathe and I just want a wet towel on my face and I don't want to talk to anyone, right? Does anyone else have any spring allergies? It's almost like I don't even know where it comes from. It's just like, boom, the atmosphere changes. Uh, and if you've ever had one of those uh, you know, spring allergies, you know that experience or any kind of allergy where something has, that is an aller that you're allergic to that has entered your body, immediately you feel the sensation of how different it is. Now the same is true as it relates to our emotional world. We have these things called emotional allergies. These emotional allergies are ways that immediately something because of a wound we've experienced, these allergies come about. So this one example that I'd like to give is, there was this one time early on in our process of starting a church, uh, my wife and I, we were having two other pastors over for lunch and these two pastors were pastors on our team. And during that time, my wife and I were just bantering back and forth and everyone's laughing and having a good time. And, you know, we're kind of making fun of each other at the same time. And so we're making fun of each other. And then Tina says something. And I don't even remember specifically what she said. I think it was something like, oh, my goodness. Like, yeah. And, and, and Drew, you know, sometimes like he watches these cooking shows, but he doesn't ever cook. It's so funny. You know, like he, she made like a comment like that or something. And immediately, like she makes a comment. She's kind of laughing about it, joking while she's washing the dishes. And immediately I feel inside of me, like this, this rage start to build within me. And it, it's almost like a, you know, an allergy. You don't know when it's coming. You just have this allergic re- reaction, right? So like all of a sudden, just this rage. And uh, I say to Tina, I say, well, you're not perfect. You're not like the perfect wife. Now, you gotta, like, so like, it was this really lighthearted time and she's just making, you know, she's just saying this thing is this kind of lighthearted back and forth. And then when, I, when my tone turns into that kind of direction, I'm basically like, well, you're not, you're not the perfect wife. Like, Tina stops. She stops washing the dishes. And like, these other pastors are like. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, though, right? We're like, all of a sudden, the atmosphere changed. Something's about to go down. And like, and I'm just like. Yeah, like, like you do all the things that you want to learn about, right? Now all of a sudden, like, Tina's like, uh, no, I didn't say I was perfect. I was just, I, you know, just, you like watching cooking shows. And, and I'm like, yeah, so, so what? What if I like cooking shows? Do you think you're, like, the best person to talk about this right now? And I, these pastors were like, that, that was a great lunch. Um, we're gonna, maybe we can, uh, I, you, should, should we go right now? And I was like, no, stay right here. Do you think it was appropriate? You know, like now all of a sudden, like things are going haywire right now. And they're just like, you know what, guys, we just, wow, I think we're going to leave right now. You know, so they end up leaving. I remember, I remember talking to you. I'm like, I'm like, like, how dare you disrespect me 
in front of these other pastors. And she's like, what are you talking about? I was just, we were going back and forth. And I'm like, I'm like, no, you disrespected me. Like, these, they work with me. Like, I'm, I'm the lead pastor of this church. They need to respect me. You know, and she's just like, what is going on right now? Now, after a moment, I just needed to cool off. So I just leave and went for a walk. And sure enough, like, that was an emotional allergy. Like, all of a sudden, she wasn't aware of it. It's just the atmosphere changed. Why? Because there's a deep wound in me to want to feel respected. I feel like I'm someone worth following. And there was just a moment in that interaction where I just kind of sensed like somehow that Tina was being disrespectful to me and it was affecting my stature with these other guys. And yet it was just this moment of like real immaturity where here I am, I'm, I'm like, I'm a leading a church, right? Like I'm a the pastor of a church, but I'm acting like a six-year-old. Now here's the reality, right? Like in that moment, I could just completely try to flex on Tina, right? Um, she wouldn't have it, but I could be like, hey, I'm like, like, don't, don't you see how hard my job is? And like, you're making my job even harder. And like, I could put this guilt trip on her and say like, like these people need to respect me. How in the world, like we're just starting out in this church, right? Like, like I could say all sorts of things to somehow justify my anger or anguish. The reality is there's a, there's a, a part of me that's just this wounded little boy. who's honestly mistreating my wife in that moment. Because instead of following the way of Jesus, I'm more shaped by my own woundedness about wanting people to respect me and care about me. See, there's not only emotional allergies, there's also uh, something called love knots. Uh, There's a book that's actually called Love Knots in different counseling settings. And a love knot is where someone's woundedness has convoluted so many of our capacities to receive and to give love. And so a love knot for me, for instance, is my wife, her family, her parents were in town. And whenever her parents are in town and, you know, I'm extra vigilant about doing my best to perform as a wonderful son-in-law and to care for our children and things like that. But normally I end up feeling a little bit neglected and ignored from Tina. And she knows that this is just something that's in me. Like I I just am someone who wants to feel secure and loved. And so, you know, so after her parents end up leaving, I say to Tina, I'm like, you know, you, you, you don't appreciate me. You don't tell me that you love me. And so Tina's like, oh, well, I love you. I'm like, you're just saying that because I I just told you that, like, you know, and like, and so here's what love knots are. Love knots are basically like, I, there's Tina, there's nothing Tina can do. Like, right? Like she says she loves me. It's like, you're just saying that because I told you that, right? And, And if she doesn't say anything, then it further perpetuates this belief that I'm unloved and unlovable. So she's in this impossible situation. Now that love knot, where does that come from? It comes from me, like vying for 
love in my family of origin with my three other brothers and often having these shifty kind of ways of measuring whether I'm lovable or loved. And so as a result, I have this deep-seated insecurity about being unloved, especially by the people who are close to me. And so as a result, here I am putting Tina in a situation where here I am again acting like a six-year-old or a five-year-old and my wife is just trying to love me. And she's trying to convince me. She's like, Drew, like, of course I love you. Like, I, like if I could tell you that with, with all of my life and with all of my heart, I would tell you that all the time. And, and yet, there's this woundedness in me that leads me to behave more like a little child than someone who has experienced the deep abiding love of God. You know, it's interesting. Check out what the scriptures say about what John says when he talks about the healing power of God. Look at this, 1 John chapter 4. He says, there is no fear in love, right? Fear, shame, blaming, being the victim, right? Like all of these things. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. I mean, don't you love this? John is basically inviting us, like, don't you see that the mission of God has always been to restore love? to cut through the love knots, to cut through the allergies, and to flood you with the love of God. And if you ever doubted it, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. See, the promise of God has always been his pursuit, his loving pursuit of you and of me to cut through all the ways that we've been formed and to restore us into a place where all the fear, all the shame, all the tendencies to blame, all those can be washed away in the love of God. Now, here's the thing, though, right? And finally, we get to the passage that was read earlier by Kathy, the passage in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul talks about what it looks like to live out this faith that we've been giving, given. Look at what it says. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, to work it out. <laughs> For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good pur purpose. The invitation then is to begin to work out what it means to live into this destiny that God has for us. Now, in Christian theology, there's these different stages of what it means to have this relationship with God. Because some of you might be reading this and be like, what do you mean work, work? You've already told us that God's grace and his love is free. It's not dependent on what we do. Well, there's this theological term called justification. Can I hear you say justification? justification? Justification is basically the process by which God declares us free and loved, not based on anything that you've done, not your performance, not your LinkedIn profile, not your your resume, but simply by his sheer love and grace, he sends his son to live and die on your behalf, and that you are justified freely by his grace, the book of Romans tells us. That's justification. Now, what Paul is addressing here is after justification, there's something called sanctification. Can I hear you say sanctification? Sanctification, sanctification now is the process by which we begin to live into this life that we've been justified into. We begin to live into this process. 
of being formed into the way of Jesus. Now, here's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, work this out. Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. It takes hard work. Will you invite God to work into every area of your life? It's hard work. Honestly, it'd be easier for me to try to flex on Tina and to basically say like, yeah, you know, like, don't disrespect me in front of other people again, okay? Like, it'd be easier for me to simply do that than to actually humble myself and say, actually, this was my issue. I was born out of my insecurity. Born out of my weird need to somehow be respected or loved by people. And I'm sorry for that. It's, it's like hard work for me to instead say, like, see, Tina, you, know, like, you need to do better at just showing me love. And become overbearing in my demands or my requests than to simply say, wow, I realize like, I've got some real knotted up kind of pathways of receiving and giving love. And I need you to forgive me and I need to do the work. You know, um, Pete Scazzaro, who wrote Emotional Healthy Spirituality, um, he was, was, we were talking and he was like, Drew, why don't, you know, we offer the Emotional Healthy Spirituality course and Emotional Healthy Relationship course. And he's like, he's like, Drew, you lead, what do you mean you lead the course like multiple times a year? And I was like, yeah, 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 I personally lead people through it. And he was basically like, oh, well, why don't you empower someone else to lead it? Like, I mean, you're leading this church right now. And, and he's like, why don't you do And I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 Pete, you don't understand. I am so emotionally unhealthy that like, I need to be reminded of this time and time again. Like, I need to be reminded of working through my grief and loss. I need to be reminded of not being an emotional infant, but, but working into being an emotional adult. Like, I, I need this in my life. Uh, and he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so little did you know, the reason why we offer the course so much is not for you, it's for me. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's for all of us, right? Like, What does it look like for each one of us to, to put in the work? To say, God, yeah, I, I, want, I want to grow up. I want to grow up so that I, I can be your witness in the world of your love, especially to the people that you've entrusted into my life, especially to the people that I'm close to. Now, here's the thing. Some of you are like, oh my goodness, another to-do on our to-do list, like to work on something else. Like I'm having enough difficulty working on stuff. You know what's amazing is in the beginning of this passage in the book of Philippians, check out what Paul writes. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love. There it is again, his love. If any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. It's not like God is some taskmaster, this domineering taskmaster who's basically like, so you better work this out in your life. No, 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 no. He says, listen, if you've ever tasted 
the beautiful, relentless, magnanimous, sacrificial, kind, pursuing love of God. If you've ever known this love, then from this place of belovedness will you then begin to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. See, it all starts with love. Of being in a place where all the insecurities and shame and blame game, and that finally we can come to a place where we say, God, here I am, ready to receive your love. Freely, truly, holy. That love is here for you today to burn through your heart, to wash through the fear, to break through the shame, to set you free. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. Would we, can we stand together? pray for us in this moment before we sing this song together. Welcome to what it means to be a human being who doesn't have it all together. Each one of us carrying um, some glimpses of shame or fear or blame others of us with, with allergies and with love knots and kind of a woundedness perhaps that we carry that end up affecting the relationships of, of those around us. And today, what if today God wanted to break through and the spirit of the living God wants to overwhelm you with his love and to invite you into a life and a journey where you could be set free. Father in heaven, you are the one who does not shift or change. You have told us that you are perfect love and perfect love casts out all fear. God, there are many imperfect loves that we've been chasing around in this world. There's much shame and fears that end up crippling us to live into the fullness that you have for us. And God, today, we just pray that your perfect love would break through our fears. We pray that your love would overwhelm us. The love of the one who is unchanging, who is pursuing, who is always there. God, will you set us free today? May we allow you to love us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.